Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and thank you for joining us at Faith and Family. Today's episode is entitled, How Did We Get Here? And what do I mean by here? I've been taken back the last uh, couple of weeks with Cardinal Fernandez, a chief leader within the Catholic Church responsible for preserving and guarding the Catholic faith. We found out uh, a while back that he wrote a book on kissing, which is kind of an unusual topic for a Vatican uh, hierarchy leader. And now this week it was revealed he wrote a very disturbing book where he intermingled theology and very graphic sexual descriptions. And it's like, what is next? What exactly is next? And of course, he wrote a, a paper or decree that Pope Francis signed on to um, okaying homosexual blessing ceremonies. And of course, uh, apologists were quick to say, well, it doesn't, doesn't change any doctrine about marriage. Uh, no, it's far more clever than that. But uh, the next day after publishing the document on homosexual blessing ceremonies, Father James Martin was featured in a nice photograph in the New York Times, blessing a homosexual couple holding hands. So how in the world that did we get here? Um, I'm having to go back quite a ways, and this isn't all the reasons that have prompted the development of where we are today, or I should say the de-evolution of where we are today, but I'd like to go back to the 19th century to some things that went on that were actually very critical that then developed in the 20th century and landed us where we are in the 21st. Now, you're going to be a little surprised by some of the things I choose, particularly the first one. But I would say, first up, what was one of the chief reasons that causes us to be here where we are today in the midst of a lot of confusion, not only in our culture, but in our beloved church? And I would put number one, Charles Darwin, responsible for aiding the darkening of the mind, particularly in the Western world. Did you know that his famous book, The Origin of the Species, that it sold out before it ever hit the bookshelves? In other words, the modern world, and you could probably go back another century and and argue perhaps that the French Revolution was really the first shot, and I wouldn't, wouldn't fight over that argument. But the modern world was ready for Darwin's theory, and it would provide a so-called quasi-scientific theory that would enable ditching Christianity. And what I'm going to be sharing is outlined in in many fashion, kind of an ABC fashion, in the second half of Romans chapter 1, an epistle to the Romans by St. Paul, starting in verse 18, the first few verses say, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men 
who suppress the truth. What it is saying is that this is a conscious, willful act to suppress the truth. That's why I think it's so important to realize Darwin's book sold out before anybody read it. Why? It was a message that the world wanted. But St. Paul goes on to say, but what can be known about God is plain to them. Go outside. Look at a mountain view, a sunset over the ocean, a river, a waterfall, a flower. I mean, a hundred different things. St. Paul says ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power, has been clearly, clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So they, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking. This is the where you would see a major shift in the mind, the, the ability to reason. Like a Supreme Court nominee can't tell you what a woman is. Well, this didn't start in the last decade. This didn't start in a Democratic presidential campaign a few years ago. No, this goes way back. They became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds became darkened. Now, I have covered this before, but I, I, have, I have a plan today, and I want to get through this material. So I'm going to make a bold statement. I have supported it, and I'm willing to support it in the future. But the fact that so many Catholics, the vast majority of Catholics, who embraced theistic evolution as a way to counter Darwin have, has created a colossal disaster. It was a disaster. You can't add an adjective to evolution and then keep you from abandoning the faith. I know this because I abandoned the faith over a kind of a quasi look up the heaven theistic evolution, say, you know, God did it, but Darwin described it. <laughs> no, random chance, intelligent design aren't the same thing. But to say, it's a disservice to say to a young person, there's no conflict between genuine science and faith while you don't give them the evidence for the what is genuine science. You just say it, and you think because we say it a hundred times, we say it on Catholic radio, that's going to convince young people? I'm sorry. Uh, they are not convinced, and I have demonstrated this is where a crisis of faith occurs between about 10 and 12 years old. The children keep their mouth shut, but when they get a driver's license or go off to college, the faith goes off from them. So just telling young people there's no conflict between science and faith when you don't tell them what genuine science is by being very specific and giving evidences and maybe recommending a book, you are leaving youth in quicksand and our culture. And the young people know hello, that there is a gigantic conflict between science and faith in the modern world ever since Darwin. Okay, that's just number one. We're just getting warmed up because number two, I need you to really listen 
carefully because I'm giving you what has happened. And in other words, I started with how did we get here? How do we get sexual abuse? How do we get anything goes type of sexuality? Even even somebody at a high office within the Vatican or people in our culture or a president of the United States, how do we get here? If you want to know how we get here, got here, then listen to this quote from Aldous Huxley. He's not a friend of the Christian faith, but he's honest and he's worth listening to very carefully. And here it goes. And I quote, this is from Aldous Huxley, his book, Ends and Means. I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning and consequently assumed that it had none. But it was not without difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. In other words, Huxley was saying, this isn't just an intellectual uh, quest for science and, and where do our origins come from. Listen now. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he should personally should not do as he wants to do. Did you hear this? For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaningless was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. The, the supporters of this system claim that it's embodied in the meaning, the Christian meaning, meaning they insisted, of the world. There was one admirably simple method of confuting these people and justifying ourselves in our erotic revolt. We would deny that the world had any meaning whatever. Hence, the darkening of the mind and St. Paul, he nails it so precisely. It's not people who are, I would kind of call the honest agnostic and struggling for belief. This is people who in their wickedness suppress the truth. And he's telling you that they were suppressing the truth. Why? He wanted an anything goes morality, especially sexual morality. And Darwin provided the avenue for that. Now, going through these two steps from Darwin to Huxley is not without consequence, for now we're just going down a little bit further in that second half of Romans chapter 1, and we read, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie— and worshiped and served the creator, at this point, man himself, rather than the creator, excuse me, worshiped and served the creature, that is man, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. So what was happening is that with this darkening of the mind, the refusal to honor God as God, because if God is our creator, 
we are his creations and we are subject to him. And he tells us the way we are made and the way he would have us live is very clear. That's what the Jewish faith and then later the Christian faith expounded and exported to the world. And it was rejected because finding no creator, the world has no meaning, there are no ethics, we can do whatever we want in our erotic pursuits. And there we go. Now stage three. Now this one, in a certain sense, if you're a cradle Catholic, you may not realize just how damaging this thing I'm just about to imagine. And we're, by the way, we're still in the 19th century. Everybody's looking for what went wrong 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago or something uh, for where we are, but the roots are clearly embedded. And the third thing that led to the destruction of Christian faith and morality is something called higher criticism or the critical theories for interpreting the Bible. And for some reason, a lot of bad stuff seems to come out of Germany, and it came from Germany, came to the United States. And the reason I said uh, cradle Catholics may not be quite as aware of this, because uh, I grew up in a mainline Protestant church, and one of the leading evangelical seminaries in the world and particularly in the United States, was Princeton Seminary, a Presbyterian seminary. I was raised Presbyterian. But this German higher critical theory came into Princeton and basically captured, it's split by the way, there's some good evangelical seminaries that popped up as a result of it, trying to keep uh, a accurate belief about God and scripture and such. But this critical theory that came from Germany started corrupting mainline Protestantism, uh, tons of um, Protestant clergy and theologians. Fortunately, when it first came to the United States, uh, Catholic Church was still ready for combat duty. They still know what defending the faith was all about. They didn't have people like Cardinal Fernandez uh, writing I don't even want to describe what just the type of things he's written. They didn't have that. Catholic Church was known for standing up for Christ's morality. You might not even have liked as a Protestant the Catholic Church, but you couldn't fault the Catholic Church for standing up for moral truth. Well, what happened is that this higher criticism, if God's word isn't authoritative, it's if it's the words of men, not the words of God, and you can't trust this, and you have to reinterpret that and everything else. Well, everybody, it's like, even as adults, in a certain sense, we're like children. If parents give way, if you compromise your authority, your kids will take just as much liberty as they can. They, they need to know where the boundaries are. And when this happened, and here we go, listen to this very carefully. That higher critical theory had a guided missile sh shooting straight at the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the higher critical theory, and there's another one called the documentary hypothesis, which means that Moses didn't write the five books. If you turn to the New Testament and the Gospels, 
Jesus was of the belief that Moses had written those, but it denied its authority. And this is now rampant through the liberal Protestant seminaries, and it created absolute rot, not only in faith, but morals. And I'll show you one prime example why in just a second. But since then, this same theory is probably taught in about 95% of Catholic seminaries. All right. So, we don't believe Moses. We're right up to speed with the most latest German higher criticism, which came from Protestant higher scholars in Germany, by the way, but now it's in the Catholic Church as well. And so, instead of hearing when Moses wrote and, you know, say something about the uh, first five books of the Bible, now you hear the younger priest say, when the sacred author wrote, and they've been taught not to use Moses, because you'd be downgraded in a term paper in seminary. You'd say, the sacred author wrote. And basically regarding the first five books of the Bible as pious myth. These aren't really God's words. These are the words of men, but it's very pious, and we'll pretend that it's really still important. Okay, now here's what happens. If you deny that Genesis is the word of God. It so happens in Genesis, memory serves me right, Genesis chapter 19 is all about Sodom and Gomorrah. And if that's pious myth, then you're going to have the breaks taken off because those things we are told were written for our instruction so we don't make this mistake. Because once it starts, once it becomes socially acceptable and approved, it spreads like wildfire leading to total destruction and judgment. And the clergy, who are the first to be taught this, have fallen into it. Do you think we'd have so much Catholic clerical sexual abuse in the world if they believed that Genesis was the word of God? I don't think so. Because they would come up against something that was designed by God in his mercy to keep, keep human beings from harming themselves. And why, why a lot of people never hear about Sodom and Gomorrah. Why not? It's pious myth, and it runs into, just like Huxley said, it keeps us from doing what we want to do in our erotic pleasures. Well, there's a consequence for this, and we're just going to go now to the third step, a little bit further down in the second half of Romans chapter 1, and now we're getting real close to today. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. In other words, if you reject God willfully, consistently, including ecclesiastical leadership, reject God's authority, then God says, okay, is that, are you sure that's what you want? And he takes his foot off the brake. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And the consequence? Their women exchanged natural relations for the unnatural, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women 
and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty for their error. There's a lot of editorials and good ones and YouTube videos and everything else and, and uh, website articles on what's going on with the craziness. Uh, Amoris Laetitia, like, you know, just says basically the opposite of what St. John Paul II said in the role of Christian family in the modern world. And it's like, you know, we have people trying to argue, that's okay. No, it is not okay. Or homosexual blessings or putting the appearance out that the Catholic Church is okay with the new morality. It isn't. That's not the Catholic faith. So we've gone through the three steps a little deeper and much earlier than a lot of the contemporary articles on what's going on here and how did we get here. But there's one more that is really important. And I go back again to the 19th century, to October 13th, 1884. Pope Leo XIII, just after he celebrated Mass in St. Peter's, had an extraordinary vision, a warning of Satan wanting permission from God to attack the church in the century or years ahead. And it was so uh, uh, frightening to the Pope. So just you think you're um, distressed with what's going on in some sectors of the church and some countries and our culture. Well, imagine the Pope seeing this kind of like in, in a maybe a few seconds or a couple of minutes seeing what would happen over the course of the 20th century and maybe into the 21st. It said the blood drained from his face and he went in and he composed the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. You're used to praying, and I am too, the, the short version of that. There's also a longer form of that uh, prayer, which he wrote, which is to be prayed only by exorcists, but I'm going to uh, take you inside that a little bit. But here's the point. The assault on Christian morality, I've tried to explain by basically cultural, philosophical, scientific reasons that move the culture into a darkening and that there's both clergy and theologians and Christians uh, taken in by that, but there's more. There's more to going on than a lot of people realize. Uh, you probably didn't read about this, and you're, I'm laughing out of just total nervousness, to be, be honest, because I've never heard anybody in Catholic media mention this, but here it goes. On midnight, June 30th, 1963, in the Vatican, there were Catholic leaders, part of the false church, who enthroned Satan in the Vatican, in the world, and in the church. And simultaneously, this started at midnight, June 30th, and went into uh, the morning of July 1st. There was a simultaneous co-ceremony with that enthronement of Satan in the Vatican in South Carolina. I believe it was in Charleston. And I'm not exactly sure why it was South Carolina, but you know, you hear a hundred times 
people, even like me, quote Ephesians 6.12. But how did we get here? Ephesians 6.12 has a lot of explanation for it says, we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, if you go into that prayer of St. Michael the Archangel, I'm talking about the long form. It begins with the ancient serpent, the devil, or Satan, who seduces the whole world, was, past tense, cast into the abyss with his angels. And that's described in the first part of Revelation chapter 20. But if you read Revelation chapter 9, it speaks of that abyss being open and this darkening, this smoke coming up over the world. And Pope Leo XIII says this prime evil enemy and slayer of men is now wandering around the world with a multitude of wicked serpents invading the earth. And what is he doing? It's like his mouth is like venom pouring out a most impure flood, the venom of his malice on men and his pestilential breath of impurity of every vice and iniquity. This is where this comes from, the pit, the abyss. And the Pope is realizing it's open. It has now been open. This was in 1883. Now, the attack that's going on in the church and Cardinal Fernandez and everything else, these are symptoms of this primeval attack. And it goes on, this prayer from Pope Leo XIII, these most crafty enemies have filled and inebriated with gall and bitterness the church, the spouse of the Immaculate Lamb. In the holy place itself, where there's been set up the sea of the most holy Peter and the chair of truth for the light of the world, they have raised their throne of their abominable impiety with the design that when the pastor has been struck, the sheep may be scattered. And then the Pope finally closes with praying the St. Michael the Archangel prayer, concluding it with that the serpent and these demons would again be put and made captive in the abyss. This is how we got here. And it goes back further than the turn of the century or turn of the century before that. These are all from the 19th century explaining how we got here. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 470 of Faith and Family. And remember, if you're interested in explaining explanations of biblical prophecy, our Luke 21 broadcast is now available on YouTube. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.